0: Heart is that unity, it's that love that's expansive. It goes beyond labels and identity. It experiences expansive states of, like feeling connectedness, you know, when you fall in love. But we still, the I places it onto things. The distortion in that relationship is the way that we place love outside of the self through the experience of the other, falling in love, loving something. Those states, that they are outside, but actually, They're not outside, they're they're something that we experience, that we expand beyond the self.
1: Hello and welcome to That Tech Show, the show that reveals the magicians behind the magic that is everyday technology. There you go, you notice the emphasis was in a slight different place there, Chris.
2: I do, I do. I like the energy, and I really hope that you're going to actually keep in the uh, the mistake that you did right up front there. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. It depends how uh, how funny it is. How are you doing? I think it's pretty funny. How are you?
1: I'm all, I'm all right. Today's today's been a week of uh, coding, and and actually, I have you had your have you accepted your thing of Copilot because we applied quite a while ago.
2: Yeah, so I've, I've accepted it now, because um, we talked about this on the show just last week with William, yeah. and uh, it turned, I was disappointed to find that I didn't have an invite, and then I got one. So I, I now have access to the beta of Copilot, and for people who don't know what Copilot is, it's your AI-paired programmer that's powered by GPT-3, and it's available via Microsoft, via GitHub. Via um,
1: waiting list. <laughs> via a waiting
2: list. It's currently in, currently in beta, so I haven't had chance to use it yet. But you've you've uh, you've been full steam ahead.
1: Incredible, absolutely incredible. Like not only is it, I thought it would give very generic kind of responses and and various things like that, but it's it's picking up on such nuanced. Coding patterns. Um, I just I I can't begin to explain how how phenomenal this piece of technology and is.
2: So how 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 it's how's it working? You 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 type a comment and it will do a function for you. That's something like no that.
1: no no. So comments are are a thing that you can do, but you can just type code as you normally would, and it just provides code like hinting. Like you know how you you know you're on a Google Doc, you'll start typing, it will try and finish your sentence for you. Oh yeah yeah. In the exact same way, it will just. You know sometimes actually you don't need to type anything and it just it it guesses and a a light kind of gray suggestion appears but then as you type then that suggestion changes but I wrote a function a few functions that were completely in tune with the way I was writing code before and I pressed about three buttons and I'd written like Well, probably three functions. It was incredible. It was really good. I'm very excited.
2: You'd written three functions or Copilot had written three functions? (laughs) Well, no
1: one's going to know the difference. And Git Blame is still going to say Sam wrote the final code. So that's (laughs) that's all
2: I care about. (laughs) I think it'll be interesting to know what it's trained on, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think if you've got you know, there's a lot of JavaScript that's out there sort mean, of publicly right? available, like you say. You know, if, if you take just Stack Overflow as an example, there's going to be a lot of that. Whereas, you know, if you're looking at something that's a little bit narrower, I guess, like View 3 in TypeScript comes to mind because, you know, TypeScript is smaller. View 3 is a significant departure from the previous ones. So, again, you know, you, you're narrowing the window. It'd be interesting to see how effective that's going to be in that area. But I'll report back. Dude, report back. Dude, have you got a project in mind that you're going to use it on? Or you just uh, yeah, well, I, that's a good segue. So um, <laughs> I'm uh, still I'm polishing off my hotel automation business, which is about ready to launch. I'm going to you know announce it on this show and tell people what we're doing. But um, yeah, I'm I'm polishing with my team of. Sweat equity developers polishing off uh, our our product, which is going to be uh, automating hotels soon so if you if you have a hotel and you 're interested in having your hotel automated, then do get in touch as i 've just had some fantastic IOt devices delivered today as well, which are new toys monstrous, to play with. monstrous toys um, to to play with as well, so you know this in- includes Further wiring in my uh, in my house, which is very much an ex- a live experiment, and into our other uh, properties as well, which we have as prototypes. So uh, we'll be experimenting, we're plugging devices in, turning them off and on, physically and remotely, and uh, and that feeds into the whole plan around how we make hotels fit for the future. Let's say.
1: And be careful about your terminology of monstrous there, because you just held up a little device that, in comparison to other things, it is quite big, but it's actually very, very, very discreet. These little uh, yeah, I I, I think I'm saying monstrous
2: in terms of power yeah. and the uh exactly. it, i mean it's sheer p- power i think is incredible i'm so pleased with these devices they're amazing and i, I you know I, the, the one i was holding was quite big but that is a, that is something that allows you to control four things in one in comparison to the other bits they're tiny they're tiny tiny little things like such such small packages of that give you so much power. That's why I think they're monstrous. Yeah. So
1: Monstrous in, in terms of uh, potential. Mon- <laughs> yeah. Mon- a monstrous potential apps Abso- of absolutely. <laughs> well, let us know how, uh, how, how Copilot maybe speeds up any kind of development for you. And,
2: uh... oh yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Definitely looking forward to it. I have some other news as well. So oh, okay. this week, this week I shall be on. Yes, I work from home, which is a uh, another podcast. And funnily enough, I shall be talking about working from home. Um, so, <laughs> no way. And I'll be talking about that tech show and how we, uh, you know, how how we put this together, which is also, I think, unique among some podcasts where you know we're co-hosting a podcast remotely. I think we've only met once. I think since we started doing this lie, since we started doing this um, together, yeah um and that wasn't for a show <laughs> no no
1: that was uh that was a doctor's
2: appointment <laughs> yeah so read into that what you will but... <laughs> anyway
1: so that's out this week or that's out this it should be out
2: this it, it should be it was recorded this week and i think okay. it should be out this week so have a look on uh yes i work from home uh you can find it anywhere you get podcasts and also on their website and uh yeah if you um if i'm at the top of the list um then you have found it in the week that it was it was released and if not i'm in there somewhere but i think they're up to 80 episodes so i think i might be 81 i'll be episode 81
1: well speaking of podcasts
2: who do we have on the show today chris that's a lovely segue so uh today on the show we've got luke and luke started life as a professional animator and found a passion for developing immersive theater and he's now using those skills to imagine a future reality as we run head-on into the VR space. Now, this is a little different to our unusual episode, so strap in and prepare to go on an adventure with Luke on how his approach to life has allowed him to follow his instincts, which has led him deep into the world of VR. Well, in fact, actually, it's led him into deep into the world of reality, I think. So, uh, strap in. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Sounds excellent. Well, before we go... Do remember to give us a like on Twitter at thattexture_underscore underscore and uh, give us a review on Podchaser. That would be much appreciated.
2: And Apple Podcasts, those five-star reviews, they really do help more than you might think. Okay, well, here is
1: Luke.
0: Hi, I'm Luke. I'm an, an AR and VR or XR evangelist, so I open up new markets for innovation technologies. One of the first movers in the vr and ar space back in 2014 when facebook first purchased the oculus
1: we were just talking now about kind of where you've come from and how this has all come around because i mean the metaverse now is such a huge topic and everyone's very very excited around it and and uh, it'd be great to kind of get into all that but where where does where does your experience stem from um and how did you get into this because vr is Fairly new. The concept and idea has been part of sci-fi for God knows how many years. But where did, where do you stem from from that?
0: So my background is animation. So I trained as a traditional animator, and then I worked in the animation industry for, for several years. I would be called a multidisciplinarian in the animation field, which really really means I've, I've worked in two D uh, hand drawn animation, three D stop motion, effects, and across the board from traditional animation series to Music videos and commercials, to uh, working on some motion pictures. When I say working on, I was preparing some stuff for them. But it was uh, I worked for a big kind of like MPC, who were are a big VFX company.
2: So that's hand hand drawn animation then.
0: Hand drawn was my training. So I was a I, oh. I was also a concept artist for a while. For for so I'd start, you know you you kind of there's a kind of there's a roadmap to, to kind of animation. So when people graduate, they usually start off as a storyboard artist or a or if you go pure, into pure animation Europe, you actually do a cleanup, cell. So, you know, the, the old school Disney animation would mm. there'd be the animator, the main guy. And there's either an in-betweener, a guy who draws the frames in between the key animations. Because this like the chef and sous-chef, right? The, the, in, mm. the in-betweener is, is basically filling in the timing between the key poses. So the key poses are what kind of drives the scene. And then the in-betweens are what carries the movement from point A to point B to point C. And then there's a guy that will do the cleanup which is find the perfect line within the rough drawing so someone like glenn Keane is an amazing animator he's the guy who would have animated tarzan and many of the kind of favorite characters that disney did in the 90s and Glenn Keane went off to be to do his own stuff but he's like the 2d jedi legend and you would have you once you see glenn Keane's work I mean, he does stuff and the like and you you recognize it immediately because you're just like wow he gives everything life like breathes life into the drawings. And then there's a guy, but it's his drawings are super rough. And he'll do like one key here and it's like from this pose to something like that to that something. And it's like and some guy has to who's super talented too will have to look at Glenn Keane's work and make sense of that motion and add something within it. And then another guy has to come in and then capture the exact energy in a perfect line. And Glen Keane's work is just like it's like an explosion on the page so it's super rough and sketchy it's beautiful animation i mean it's it's a mad industry and the traditional animation is 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 one of the most misunderstood art forms that i feel uh, uh exist today but because of talent and anyway so that's we could just segue off into animation
1: <laughs> so i was actually i worked for Framestore store a good few years ago when so I was being pushed. So I was very, very similar to you with this multidisciplinarian and I was kind of. I would get some of the, the the key directors and like Mike McGee.
0: Mike McGee, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. So he he we, we would work together and build kind of like little experiments and things like that. And I would say very, very rudimentary kind of VR concepts and things like that were being v- bubbling at that point, right? And this is about two thousand nine, maybe something like that. What were you doing at NPC? That because we haven't even touched on how your animation stuff went into the VR stuff. What what were you doing in NPC that was that kind of triggered this lust for VR?
0: NPC didn't trigger my lust for VR. And, and lust is a word I'm very careful to use because lust is is consumption and consumption. Is moving from a particular energy, which is like ego-driven, and it's, it's like I want to take. You're just, and I, I think VR comes from something that I want to share, and so uh, passion or there's a there's a lightness, a journey. It's a different anyway. That's another conversation.
1: Where where was the where was the the spark then? Where did that? The spark for VR was ignited while I was
0: meditating under a, in the woods for some time, and I was sitting there trying to work out how to align purpose. And passion and skill set uh, and 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 life and I thought I was at a crossroads and I thought the best way to figure it out was to sit under a tree and meditate for some time for real for real yeah for wow real. and and even I could take that one step further for three days as I was meditating in the woods sitting there the same butterfly would come and would sit on my head and I was like if this is not a sign and then on the third day I had this insight it's <laughs> like I need to be in this industry. And at the time, the industry didn't really exist. And that was super interesting because I knew nothing of VR, really, in all fairness. I I just had a sense that I was like, I need to move. I don't know where to move. I need something to guide. And then this kind of insight came and was like, you need to be in this. This is where it's happening. This is where you go. And so I went to some, I was like, well, where do I go? Where do I start? What do I do? And I was kind of Googling around and I saw a conference in Munich. Uh, for programmers. And I was like, right, uh, that looks kind of interesting. It was a VR conference released. And I went to Munich, walked in for the conference, didn't understand a word that was going on because I knew nothing about programming languages. There's lots of developed people who are building these systems were in mo- most it was math and 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 code. And I was like I, I need to be here anyway. And then I bumped into a guy called Cory Inbar, uh, who at the time was had a conference called the Augmented World Expo, which is now grown to be the biggest conference in the world for VR and AR. But in those days, it was super lo fi. And it was very, very much driven towards this very kind of cliquey group of people who were developing the software. He started off in 2010. And I just I saw him and I was like, I need to work. I, has, I, I was also, again, like this kind of conversation. I was like, I had an insight that I need to work with you. And he was like, okay.
1: And so <laughs> of <Slightly> freaked out.
0: <laughs> and so he just for whatever reason we 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 started talking and and then something you know that i I had been working in real estate for some time and so vr and real estate seemed like a good space and i had this idea that maybe that was a good low-hanging fruit for me because i'd worked in i saw an opportunity it just made sense i was like well vr was the best way to showcase new developments and sell off plan and no one was doing it at that time also when i when i saw his brand i was like man your brand's super super technical and really kind of like inaccessible, it's AWE Augmented World Expo really just spells awe and you need to bring the awe into the experience. I want to help you rebrand this conference. So that was like the entry point. I started working for him for free initially and then, so I was like, I will just work for you. And I was living in my office on sofa at the time, I was just camping out, yeah, it was just a bit wild. And I just, you're just going with intuition, really, and just being like trusting. Uh, like this is where i should go and this is how i should move
2: so with, with that innovation to sort of try and rebrand it that's very much a sort of a marketing led you know initiative i guess and obviously we'll get to, to your your roles uh now but like did you have any experience in marketing and sales and branding at that point because you know we've we've gone from from being a, an, a hand-drawn animator to uh to to meditating under a tree to you know, rebranding a conference <laughs>
0: to selling, and, and selling real estate
2: and and selling real estate i forgot about that yeah yeah so there's quite quite a lot of um build-up going on here <laughs> but it's, i'm good i'm pleased
0: that you're beginning to find this more and more intriguing it's... real estate was a segue my family business is my father builds alpine chalets and i before i started working with him i was working in immersive theater so let's let's give it some context so while i was animating i used to love to go to i used to hang out a lot at these squats in london artists were taking over buildings in london and just creating these awesome art experiences and they were young artists like it was really and and somehow i got involved with these artists and they were doing these poetry readings and performances in these squatted buildings in central london and i used to go hang out there and through that process i met some really interesting artists that were just operating a bit under the radar and then i followed one artist uh, to her she was she was actually at the time it was an old street in one of these abandoned warehouse well it was no it was at the Tr- uh, truman brewery in old street back in the day before it was even developed into anything it was just this it was again it was just like a building You'd go downstairs and there was nothing there and there's a few artists that were exhibiting their work at the time when old street was still kind of not so interesting or super interesting for a few and not so
2: interesting for the most right it's kind of flipped over hadn't been gentrified yet
0: exactly I saw this artist and I was like, wow, she's amazing. And, and, and she was doing this really awesome installation work. She was like 22, and, and I was like 26, 27. And I, I just asked her about what she was up to. And she was like, I'm going to go to this protest site in Wales to become an activist for my first protest. And I thought that's such a compelling idea. I was like, can I follow you? I'd like to make a film about that. And so I followed this, I put together a team and followed this girl to Wales and to make a documentary film about her life on this protest site and ended up spending six months living on this protest site and traveling around all these other protest sites in, in the UK. And then we filmed about 50 hours of footage and then decided to create a documentary from from the experience, which was called Living with Anarchists. And they all lived in tree houses and it was really magical. The time, did you hear about Swampy? You might remember Swampy. Uh, yeah, I remember Swampy. It was just after Swampy, but he was still hanging around these different, uh, protest sites, but some of them, some of these protest sites were so magical that because they'd been there for like nine years and chi- and, and people really built these communities off grid. There's one place called Nine Ladies, which was in the the Peak District, if I remember. It was like it was a f- woodland that was growing out of an ancient stone quarry that was also on an, an ancient Roman ruin, so it's kind of all mixed up, and they were. These protesters had gone to live there to stop them from, just to protect the forest so they, and, and from the quarriers, the people who come to basically take stone. I don't know what was going on, but people had lived there for so long that it that, that became a community that children had basically had only ever grown up in the woods, that had no real connection to civilization. It was amazing. And so you'd find these really magical places around the UK that were so, that were, that kind of were outside of society. And that was the first thing that really, Called me. I was like, "This is what I'm really interested in," but I didn't have a name for it at the time because I come from quite a uh, conservative background. I went to public school. I went to Harrow, right? So I'm someone who went to a public school, and it was kind of on an adventure to discover the world uh, out of this bubble of, of bourgeoisie, actually. And, and then on that journey to kind of find myself and find out what the world's about, you just go on these kind of magical adventures to meet all these different types of people and and just follow intuition. I, I could keep going, but i maybe just stop here until you ask more <laughs> questions. Yeah. There's lots of beautiful stories around this couple and where that took me and the connection to immersive theatre and how immersive... Because for me, immersive theatre is really the segue to VR.
2: Yeah. This this, this sort of uh, ability to follow what's interesting, follow your sense of adventure, I think was the wording you used, seems to have taken you in a hell of a lot of different places. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it does. It really does. And and that's essentially kind of following your own curiosity, you know, and uh, trusting.
2: So, you know, I'd asked about the, um, you know, what what made you think that you could rebrand this conference that you'd seen, this VR thing? So, you know, you'd seen all of these things, you've got that creative background, but, but what made you think that you knew what people wanted to see from VR, I guess? Uh,
0: I didn't know what people wanted to see from VR. I knew what I wanted to see from VR. And for me, what I knew VR represented other realities, other potentials, other dimensions. And a lot of the time people were trying to recreate like second life was Second Life was, for example, was a recreation of our world and in a in a virtual environment. And for me, there's nothing more tedious than someone making a shitty version <laughs> of the real world in a in a virtual environment. I'm like, well, what? I just and, and I'd also worked with plant medicine, like ayahuasca and other things back in 2011. So I'd seen other dimensions had been revealed to me through these plant medicines. And it was always kind of, there was an obvious relationship between kind of these other realities that we could experience through the five senses or beyond the five senses and the potential of what VR could teach us or reveal to us.
1: I was going to say, was that like an intentional thing? That, what were you looking for from that ayahuasca experience? Were you looking for a new enlightenment or is that just by chance and that you, you that led you on a journey?
0: So in 2010, I had a nightclub, uh, which was like a 1920s cabaret burlesque immersive theater place in central London in Bond Street. And then I kind of got caught up with the nightlife and that took me on a bit of a shitty journey. Because I, I I lost the sense of what it was that I was doing. Initially, I was like, I create these magical spaces, and then I was like, I'm a nightclub I'm impresario for six. And you kind of get lost in this world because it's it's full. A lot of people are like, wow, you're, you know, you, you get caught up in the ego of it, you know. So I got caught up for a time in in this story that I was just really cool, and I made a nightclub, and all these cool people were going to me Like Woody Harrison, one day would come to my nightclub, and then, you know, serve it. It's just like suddenly out of nowhere, you're you're this really. You become cool, and I'd been in animation, so I was kind of geeky, and then suddenly I became very cool, and that led me to kind of a, like an internal crisis of who am I, what am I doing? And I ended up for a period giving up my creativity to work in real estate because I had the, I had a family who was like, "What are you doing with all this creative malarkey? You should be working with a family business and with building a real estate empire." And and so then I joined Savills, and I suddenly like started from the bottom again in real estate training having just come from building immersive theater experiences, but trying to please this idea of what I thought my family or I thought I should be doing because I'd kind of fallen by my own. So I, I kind of got lost. I'd lost my, my way, i lost myself. And I was, at the time I was living with a very old friend who was working with plant medicine and she was taking trips to the Amazon and she was also hosting ceremonies at our home. And and she was like, oh, you're very sweet, lovely. She was like, oh, you know, you should come along and do a plant medicine ceremony. And I was like, oh, okay, I had no idea what plant medicine was. So I was like, sounds cool. Uh, and so I went to this retreat uh, out to London, and then it was very strange. And everyone was dressed in white. And I just I just prepared, did the diet, kind of sort of prepared myself. But that experience, I drank ayahuasca for three days over three nights, and that experience was fundamentally a total. Realignment. Let's say, kind of pushed me back into my path, and it was after that that I was like, right, things really started to shift, actually, and uh, I was able to consolidate these two worlds that I couldn't figure out at the time, which was creativity and business, and I thought, actually, maybe they they can work better together, and that also kind of was what kind of led me towards virtual reality because that became more about really bringing spirituality to the world in a way that people, most people, can conceptualize it because it's really about building new realities so it's like well vr really is about these other dimensions and and the plant medicine showed me this stuff so that makes a sense so that's why it kind of came through with the meditation
2: actually so i ask as um like a psychoactive drug essentially right so i can kind of see how there might be a connection between that and the virtual reality is that how you made the link or am i reading too much into that
0: that's exactly. I mean, it really is. It's like Kevin Kelly. He says, like, virtual reality technologists are like the digital shaman of the future.
2: Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that digital shaman. That's
0: brilliant. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it, is, it is the giving us these kind of gates, gateways into new, new realities, right? And that there are the, my favorite uh, uh, speaker on these topics is this guy called Jason Silver. He used to do these ex- philosophical shots of war and where he talks a lot about the space between psychedelics. Transhumanism, future technologies, impact technologies, and kind of like the human condition, and, and kind of explores this new this new paradigm. I think that we're birthing into.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm really curious to know now at this point because you, you you've approached VR uh, from a very f- spiritual, very visionary kind of perspective. Um, you've gone to this sort of tech conference, and correct me if I'm wrong, but code is not your bag. <laughs> How do you then enter the world of VR with purely a visionary standpoint? Like what, do you, what, do you, what did you then offer to the, to the kind of industry or the, uh, I don't know, talk me, through, talk me through what you did with this kind of, this enlightenment around, around uh, virtual reality being such a powerful medium.
0: So for the Augmented World Expo, I, I presented a vision which was much more uh, transcendental and I and and I put together. You could if actually yeah, so somewhere my LinkedIn I've shared it. If you go to the AWE, there's a there's a document which I shared, and that was really kind of making it much more about these other dimensions, these other realities in 2014. And then he kind of he did his own branding. What what I then did was where's the low hanging fruit with this new technology? How am I going to make money? And the obvious one for me was uh, helping to sell new developments. Or help developers sell off plan or communicate their offerings more effectively. It was really that simple. And and there were and I was looking around and and, and real estate. What, what working in real estate, I, what I realized is they were very very old school, especially companies like Savills. If you're familiar with Savills, I worked to their head office in 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 Berkeley Square at the time, and I remember coming in and tr- pitching them these really creative ideas in the first few months I was there and being shut down because I realized how close people were to any type of innovation uh, that might exist outside of what they were comfortable with. So when I eventually left real estate, I just thought this technology is going to innovate this industry in ways that, that haven't been seen yet. And, just, and so actually, I was picked up by a company that was doing exactly that. And together we started to build products for the space. And my job was to go to uh, lots of real estate conferences like MIPIM and both exhibit new technologies and also to, to pitch to clients. And I'd, and I'd go and essentially look at, use, just connect with developers and convince them of the value of building products in VR to help them sell and, and communicate their, their offerings more effectively. And that was for residential, commercial, and retail. And we ended up working on a, a multi-billion dollar development, which is a whole replanning of a town called uh, Bracknell. And we built a virtual town, a million square foot in, in VR and gamified it and various applications, all things from scratch, you know, and you're then next thing you find yourself is in a room with with 15 or 20 board members of two multi-billion pound companies pitching them this new technology and, and kind of selling them their marketing suite. And no one was doing that at the time. I mean, there was a few people that were moving. In parallel with us, because when there's one, when when someone has an idea somewhere, you know that you can be sure that someone in the in the world's having the same idea at the same time. So the hive mind. It is the hive, right? You then that's something very beautiful to know how interconnected we are, because it's like if someone births an idea, be sure that someone else is birthing that same idea at the same time, because we're all connected. Like what are those possums or those sea? Anyway, you get my <laughs> Does that
2: give you an impetus to move faster then when you... I've moved too fast before. (laughs) I think we can tell that from the interview so far. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the amount of stuff you've done up until about being what what, about 26 um, seems to be quite colossal.
0: If if I told you that I was pitching a company called MeMask in 2018, where I said that we were going to brand face masks, right? This is serious. And we're going to brand them so people are going to become walking billboards. And you can put like Colgate with a big smile and then, the companies would, you'd give masks away for free at tube stations and bus stops and train stations, wherever, and companies would pay for these masks and essentially, you'd take a commission because you were basically creating walking billboards. And I started doing that with Extinction Rebellion and people thought it was a fucking nutcase. (laughs) And then I just thought, fuck it, I'm out of London because this this is all going to be messy. And again, two years later, everyone's walking around with bloody masks. So it was just interesting that I'm not, hooting my own job, but there are ways to just get insights and i can talk about how you find trends how do you follow trends or be at the front of a trend
2: well i think we should have known that there was something coming with the pandemic because we had been preparing for pandemics and then you know i think i think around 2018 everyone kind of given up and went yeah there'll never be a pandemic it's supposed to happen every 100 years but there hasn't been one since 1918 let's not bother
0: (laughs) it's 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 true it's
2: uh, yeah Good that you were that far ahead of the game. Did it, Did you manage to bring it back? Like as we went into the pandemic, or uh...
0: I just shelved the, the project after a while because I just I didn't want to live in the city in that energy. Maybe there's a chance to make a million or ten million or offer business around masks, and yes, potentially you can capitalize that in a big way. But the other the, the other question is, what do we compromise about ourselves? Like, what are we giving up to have that type of success? And is it the success that we're meant to have? Is that success? And for me, it's a clear no. I didn't want to be in London during a pandemic. I didn't want to be around people and that energy. Not even the, it's the fear that 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 narrative that's so
2: toxic. That's interesting. So, I mean, let's 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 bring it right up to date then. So, XR applied. Talk to us about about that and how we. How, how we got here?
0: <laughs> how we got to XR Applied? Um, XR Applied is a company that I'm consultants, consulting for. They're based in France and in Toronto. And currently my process with them is to find clients and also to develop new, new business strategies. One of the business projects that I am bring to the table is this mixed martial arts VR experience. For just to explain what that is for me and why I, for me that's a multi-billion dollar business right? It's the future of MMA. And what happened? In 2013, I was developing a concept called the Immersive Combat Federation, which was live combat sport and immersive theater, because I've been very heavily involved in immersive theater. And I was working in real estate and doing that on the side. And I put together a whole vision and pitch for this project, but we never moved forward with this project for various reasons. So I shelved an idea. I was like, right, I'm just shelving this for now because it's not the time. And then when I was at Web Summit a few weeks ago, George St-Pierre, who is the UFC champion, was on stage talking with Unity about a new technology called Metacast. And Metacast is essentially the technology that was missing for this, from, from this project that I wanted to develop. So I connected with George St-Pierre, and I'm currently in discussions with his agent as to how we can... Bring this experience to to life, you know, and have him as a a, a, a a the face of this concept, and presenting a project or an opportunity like that to your to your company, they're like, wow, this is the future of mixed martial. It's just very 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 clear when you look at the pieces. You're like, this plus this plus this plus this could potentially be this, and I I know it. They know it. There's a tremendous amount of value in an opportunity like that. but the question is how did it happen? Well the way I'm telling the story, it's synchronicity and flow, right? I didn't have a plan to meet George St. Pierre at the conference, right? It's, and it, to get to get backstage to talk to him, you're talking about getting through five layers of security. and you don't you don't get to go backstage on a stage of forty thousand people at Web Summit to meet the people that are on stage, right? It just because I, I, I was an attendee, but the question is how did I get backstage? And that's what's really interesting because as I'm observing myself getting backstage going, I need to connect with this guy. This is, and the way these things happen is, is, is wild. And I'm looking at all the security and there are five checkpoints between me and getting there. And each one is controlled by two giant security guys. And I'm like, if it's meant to be, I'm getting through the security and I'm meeting with this guy. And is the universe moving this right now? Yes. Let's go. Bum, 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 bum. So that's my experience, and the why does it? And then you ask people, how do you work like that? How do you move like that? And that's another conversation. That's the most interesting conversation for me.
2: So, how in that case did you get through the security? <laughs> and, and when you were and when you were there, what was it that made you be in the crowd and went, "I've got an idea, and I'm going to go and speak to that guy about it." What? Because <laughs> there must have been a, a couple of things there, right?
0: Yes. <laughs> Uh, how far down the rabbit hole do you guys want to go?
1: <laughs> I like we're already in the rabbit
0: hole. <laughs> so, okay. I didn't have a plan. It was the third day. I didn't know on that particular day, just so you know, between where we speak very f- candidly, I didn't know that on the day that was going to be the outcome of the day. I have a project that's shelved. I know what that project can be. I have a sense of what I would like it to achieve. But it was only when... I was going through the kind of menu of who were the speakers and what was happening on that day. I saw George St. Pierre. I saw Unity. I saw the conversation. And it was like, these are the guys that I need to connect to because this is the missing piece for this other project that I want to build. By the way, the project hasn't happened. It might not happen. I'm just speaking to you about real time where I'm at in this moment right now. And that's all I really know. And that's how I respond.
2: So that's great because like a lot of people, you know, are able to put these ideas together. They have the the ideas. They can put the jigsaw together in their mind. But then, how do you go and execute on it? Because I'm interested in how you manage to get through the layers of security and then pitch your idea.
0: <laughs> I just walk, and as you're walking, it's like it's like that moment of like a second before or second afterwards. He wouldn't have turned away or someone, for example, came out at a particular point, looked at me and goes, where are you going? And I would be like, I'm going to go meet with this particular person. And he's like, oh, come with me. And he just walked me through two people and then another person just opened. And it was just the timing. was like, everything is moving in a like slow-mo. You're like, okay, so this door opens and then, and I'm just moving. I'm like, if I meant to go, I've surrendered. I'm like, if I meant to get through this, I'm getting through this. I'm not doing, I'm not running this show. I'm not running this. This is happening through me or not. You're watching your movie unfold in real time as you're moving.
2: So have you, you know, I, I think, you know, you're an incredibly positive person, clearly. And, you know, you, you've definitely got this way about, a way about yourself of being able to, you know, go through life and make connections and have success. Have you, have you ever crashed and burned? Has it ever just, because you talk about it not working, but has it ever completely gone, gone from under you?
0: When I was thirty, for sure, for sure. I mean, but again, it's like, how do you look at the crash and burn? Like, what is a crash and burn? Like, the depressed can also be deep rest, right? Everything has its other side, like the yin yang, right? Yin and yang. You've got the dark and light, but in darkness there's light, and in light there is darkness. It's both. And again, it's about how do we see? Like, there is with every truth, there is there's a, there is a spectrum.
2: Yeah I think I saw a clip of I think it was Jim Carrey was talking about deep rest actually as a, oh, nice. as a as a, a thing. You know it, it's really interesting that you brought that out like how do you how do you recover from that? You know you get into a a real low point. It's you've completely you know hit the wall. How do you build yourself back up?
0: If the question is did you see yourself going towards the wall in the first place because there's usually some clear signs that should be guiding you before you crash and burn. So number one and what is your framework like if you've got a framework that kind of catches you when you fall too much this way or fall too much this way into into a too much of a high or too much of a low right both are dangerous both being like ah, too much like oh my god life's amazing and you're like lost in that bliss or lost in the depression both are states and try and keep that balance that balance between both is is really for me, the safe space, so not to be pulled to either extremes and get lost. the thing is we get lost, right? we go towards things that are and we kind of shun things that are uncomfortable. but actually discomfort is great because it's breaking as well, right you make it fun comfortable. So again, it's like if things get to a point where we hit a depression, there's probably been a ton of things that we've not been dealing with up to that point for us to fall into that space. And the depression is the final smack by life to say shift or break or stop or wake up, the burnout. But you have signs along the way. And if you're looking, you'll see them. If you're tuning in, you'll see them every moment of every day. It's always there.
2: Did I mishear you in the middle of that? Or did you say fun comfortable? Fun comfortable. Yeah. Make uncomfortable, fun comfortable. That's <laughs> cracking. I've never heard that before.
0: <laughs> it's it's not mine. I heard someone else say, I thought it was brilliant as well. It's like that's of course, make things that are uncomfortable again the stories we have around things are not usually the reality and it's really getting to the root of things and look words are great like that you know like a word can have many and hebrew is beautiful because hebrew always has a reverse to everything there's always a duality and that's true it's one man's poisons another man's medicine and vice versa and the question is how do you move with that and things today, i'm like i wouldn't wish anyone to have to go through that experience and feel those things but that's also unseen from a certain place how i then move to something else. And I understand the, the springboard of of the fall to the rise and the
1: rise to, it's that it's that is life. It's both. There's a lot of clarity to what you were saying and from your observations, it's it seems like that it's obvious that this stuff is has come so naturally. Where do you feel people are going wrong in terms of, you know, maybe maybe things aren't going their way? How can they how do you feel like they can maybe reach this enlightenment or or discover this how to navigate their life in a more, well, as you describe it, the way that you're describing it.
0: The, so speaking for myself, where it's, when, when has it gone so wrong for me? It's when I got caught up in my story, in my belief, the mind, right? The mind, what is the mind and what is our relationship to mind? And how do we navigate the the, the, the voices, the, the, the identity? So it's, it's the, we go wrong because we're very caught up in our identity and the identity, the belief systems we have, sometimes we have bad programming, like a a computer with a virus, you know, software. It's like if you upload a faulty virus and trauma does this, you know, we have things that are unconditionally from a very young age through this life or past lives that we have adopted as our truth or our person. And that usually influences us unconsciously to behave or respond to certain stimuli in a particular way. Sometimes that takes us into a brick wall. But that brick wall is also, from a certain vantage point or repositioning, a way of seeing. So everything that hurts us is also there to reveal something because it's really, what is this? the senses but ways to navigate this reality. So we're trying to constantly find a way to find a path and create paths. And most people follow paths that have been walked but we, if we were to create our own path and find a way that works for us, we have to become much more in tune with the self ourselves, the self. And we have to be able to understand, firstly, what is the self? We have to ask these deeper questions because if we don't ask these questions, we will get to crash into walls the whole time because we're trying to navigate an uncharted territory and uh, move in a way that isn't mapped out in the physicality. So we're like, what is my path if it's not to be a doctor, a lawyer, a banker, an accountant, or blah, 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 you know? How do I know what's true for me? I don't know. How do I trust when things look super bleak how do I make those transitions or those bridges between one reality and another reality and hold true and stay safe? Like even though I haven't got a clue where I'm going, like how do we do that? And how do I navigate the noise in my mind? The the limiting beliefs. We wake up in the morning. You you suck. You can't do it. You're, no one loves you. You're not worthy. All these things. All these ideas. How do we navigate that? Like comparison. How do we distill truth from the lenses of illusion that are constantly kind of uh veiling reality from us. And what is reality? And there are d- depths and there are, d- but there's layers and layers and layers and layers of uh, and endless to explore. And then there is a truth, and and one talks about karma uh, or tikkun correction, a soul purpose. Like it's what is the journey of this reality? What are we here for? And what are we unraveling? where is it taking us? And what's the end goal? And how does it connect to all humanity? And actually, is it for myself or is it part of something much greater? Ultimately. Ayahuasca and and if you've done you know or other kind of deep insightful meditations will show that everything comes back to one. We're all connected. We know that on a molecular level, you know, there is nothing is separate. And everything on at, at an atomic level, everything's connected. Right? There's no space between things. It's only through perception do we start to sp- believe that things are separate, and we identify stories or names of table, chair, microphone, person, all these things. But these are constructs. These are things that we've overlaid onto reality. So we have to start to find a way of deconstructing the lens from which we've been taught to see, like a baby.
1: Well, on that note, I had a kind of follow-up question, which is left field from an already very left field conversation that we're, we're normally accustomed to. But the, I I have this, you know, as a very ill-formed idea right now, but it's, it revolves around consciousness and the the development from childhood to adulthood. And I believe somewhere along the line, something happens where we lose what is so pure about being a child that that curiosity that um to be truly yourself you know i i I, the easy the most basic example i can give is i was watching um some kids play boys and girls right and they were on the ground they were beating each other up and you know you put you, you look at adults doing that and you think that's crazy more specifically you'd look at a female doing that and think, oh, being rough and tumbling around and and whatever, you'd be crazy. Not Obviously not on... I think
2: there's sites like that on the internet you can go and look at. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean,
1: there's a a purity to that. You don't, a a boy doesn't care if they're a boy, a girl doesn't care. They're just going to do whatever they feel comfortable doing. But somewhere along the line, as they grow up, something happens. And I feel like consciousness, this this being, this uh, thing that you're speaking about right now, I think maybe there's a, a connection there, where suddenly you become part of the the world and 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 that interconnectivity that somehow brings about a horrible ego that prevents us from being who we really are, and then we that's where we sort of run into walls. That's where we sort of find difficulties and things like that. Do you? I mean, do you have any thoughts or ideas around that concept?
0: The first thing that pops is my ego is not horrible right? It's our friend. It's also there to support us. There's a purpose to this reality that was documented, right? So you can use the, the same comparison with the Adam and Eve story, right? Adam and Eve were, like the baby, in the Garden of Eden, like totally pure and innocent, and they were without shame, and they were just Rolling around, being naked and, and cool,
1: cool and naked. I like so it. We're just cool <laughs> and naked,
0: vibing and everything, right? And then, <laughs> and then the snake, the serpent, which is the meta. They also rocked up and said, "Eat from the tree of good and evil, of knowledge, knowledge, duality, right? Perception, creating the sense of I, the separate self, right?" So they do, and so they shame. They were naked, and they kind of felt they fell from this heightened state, which is trend. So mind is the realm of duality. Mind is great because it helps to navigate, but it exists in a, a sense of separation perceptions, the way the, the brain is set up, right? It, it observes everything from a particular position, my position, positionality, and I see everything in relation to me. Heart, so the mind heart, heart is that unity, it's that love that's expansive. It goes beyond labels and identity. It experiences expansive states of oh, like feeling connectedness, you know, when you fall in love. But we still, the I places it onto things. The distortion in that relationship is the way that we pl- place love outside of the self through the experience of the other, falling in love, loving something. Those states, that they are outside, but actually they're not outside, they're, they're something that we experience, that we expand beyond the self. So the, But the journey of understanding, well, there's a point to this reality. And the point to this reality is one, if, if, if you look at the great sages or any of the ancient texts, sorry, any ancient wisdom teachings, they will always talk about what is the purpose of this reality? What are we here for? What is this learning? And it's also the universe becoming self-aware through the ego, through the perceived self, through learning all the knowledge and then transcending that. Because if, you were, if otherwise there is no point to existence if there was no game, if there was no ego to unravel, There is a point to unfold, something to see, to to learn everything. It's like they say the unit is like essentially the universe becoming aware of itself through the infinite lenses of seeing, for the infinite perceptions of reality, only to transcend it to come back to the one. And if this this dimension has is like a it's like a game, right? There's a your life is somewhere like a a leveling up, constantly unraveling, unfolding somewhere. And I and, and so. It's a different language, right? It's it's a very old way of seeing, but also for for our this generation, it's a very new way of seeing. To change the way you relate to this self and to, to be totally cool with having an ego and to realize that this is something that needs to still be overcome, to come to transcend it, coming back from the two to the one, right? And c- we can talk endlessly about that, but I think that's a stop. Yeah,
1: I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is that I feel like we there's something along our path that, that sets, off, sets us off track
0: somehow. It's called life. This pure thing is born into this world with like <gasps> total curiosity, and then life happens. Parents happen. The stimuli happens, and you learn. You just like you're by being in the physical. It's just because you're brought into the physical dimension. Where so. Physical things you get brought up, so you start to associate with things. That's doesn't matter. The best parenting in the world can't save you from this. Like this is just this reality. It happens to everyone. You know they say they fuck you up, your mum and dad. They do. You know there's that poem about how parents. It's no one's fault. It's just the game. It's the way it's set up. Everyone goes through it, and everyone has to unravel this story, in, of this lifetime or past lifetimes. But it's like to what end? Why? And then you can. And and it's like. Some people say there's no point to this existence. And if you go a little bit deeper, you say there is a purpose to life. What is it and how does it work? And then you just go and study some of the, the great avatars who have written extensively on this in many different lineages and many different practices, be it from the Vedas to the the Kabbalists to uh, non-duality teachers, you, the Buddhists. It's all there, right? It's, it's-
2: so bringing these, um, these worlds together then, virtual reality and the real reality i suppose where there's you know various different perceptions of that how do you foresee humanity changing i suppose as we head into a virtual world because it's going to become more and more prevalent
0: well it's very interesting because then you've got i I see this everything will eventually in my from my limited understanding come back to one and this and and then we can sweat what does that mean but What is very interesting is a lot. There's a big movement towards introspection and the innerverse, which is looking within. And there's a big movement towards the outerverse, which is like man merging with machine, transhumanism, like the, the the like what happens when we merge with the internet, like what like placing the microchip in the mind. It's just become like so we transcend our limitations with technology. We transcend our limitations with with spiritual evolution and exploring the the realms of consciousness. Right, I see those two paths as being really interesting right now what's what, what's going to happen I, I i don't know
2: so were you uh were, were you surprised or excited about the recent announcements that came via mr zuckerberg and uh, his plan for vr and all those sort of things
0: not surprised at all it for me it feels like um it's just a natural it's the next step. <laughs> it's the next steps. Like it, you can't, because that's where the energy is. There's so much energy, and it's like you've got people just chasing that energy, and you're they're just moving with it, right? E- even though we all saw Ready Player One, and Ready Player One was very clearly like, "Don't do this," <laughs> and then everyone, went, "We should do this thing," because there's because you can't. You're just pulled. It's something that's pulling us towards this this unfolding. So somewhere, it's totally okay. It's completely okay because that's where we're going as a species
2: when do you think the when do you think the tipping point will be because i think everybody has started to become more savvy let's say of having a virtual world i mean for example we're recording this via zoom you know people uh, more people are aware of zoom now than they ever have been um more people are going online than they ever have been and i think people are starting to explore the VR world a little bit more as well. I mean, we're having conversations about VR in in office spaces, you know, because people might not be going back into physical offices in the same way as they were before the pandemic. When do you think the tipping point is going to be when things become significantly more virtual? Like, can you foresee that?
0: I mean, within the next few years, I think 2000, uh, well, well, it was predicted. Uh, The current industry is worth 36 billion right now. And by twenty 25, it's gonna be worth 500 and something billion. Right? It's just like psh, look at that growth. And look at what's happening. How many players are moving into the, 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 the metaverse space? Uh, every, like I, I've so the amount of metaverse experts in my LinkedIn feed has grown exponentially <laughs> within the last year. Everyone's like, all oh, right, when did everyone become an expert on the metaverse? It doesn't even exist yet. But it's just like it's because everyone, that is where the money Facebook has called it, and so has many other companies.
2: There's, there's definitely a correlation, you know, throughout history, I think, between number of experts and buzzwords, you know, there's... Uh... sure. <laughs> as soon as you coin another another term, there'll be an expert in it.
1: Well, it, it might not... I wouldn't call it a theory, but my understanding or belief was that actually the metaverse is actually something that has existed for a, quite a while. Maybe not in this all-encompassing place, but this, this uh, duality between the virtual world and, and physical world and all the rest of it, you know... You yourself are involved in vr and you know all this stuff has sort of happened over the last 10 15 years but it's it feels to me now and i'm asking to be corrected if if you feel so it feels to me now that there's a term for it people are saying ah that's what this thing that we've been doing for the last 10 years is and then putting their name to it that's what it feels like to me
0: it's it's the it's the commercial viability of it uh, that has made it so packaged, it's the packaging, right? We can really hold it as something, uh, I feel. So now is when it's really, and the scalability of something that we can really tangibly understand and relate to and make work and relate it to business at large.
1: We've explored so many different things tonight and you, you seem to have a lot of teachings, a lot of uh, theories, philosophies, and things that you've learned. What do you believe is your message to the, to the world?
0: The first thing that pops into my mind is trust yourself, trust the self, trust and certainty. You can come into a space of trust more, move into trust, which means that we move through fear, which without, when we have trust and certainty, we, we stop being afraid, and that's really important. And fear is also connected to uncertainty, and that makes us reactive. And if we're in trust and we have certainty, then we're more proactive. And that's, a, that's the daily practice of finding trust when we can't see the, uh, the other side but trusting and knowing that there's, there's something that's guiding. This is, this is a huge one because if we can just bring trust, that we move in a different energy. It's a much softer, much more elevated energy and it already removes a lot of chaos from reality. So I think that's a good one to end on.
2: Nice. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to end it.
1: Nice. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Luke. That was incredible. <laughs> it's incredible
0: to talk to you too. Thank you. Take care. Nice one, guys. All the best.